0: So last week we looked at God a God encounter with Elijah and how God encountered him as the God of comfort and he in his despair he in his isolation he in his aloneness retreated and sought something because he couldn't understand what was going on and and what I find interesting about that is how God meets him, and because Elijah could be thinking, but Father, I don't understand. I was being faithful. I obeyed your word, and yet still I am suffering. I I don't get that. Why should that happen if I'm living for you, if I'm doing what you have called me, and God comes and comforts him and and meets him where he's at and and, and instructs his heart and tells him to look for him and, and says, look, this is where it is. This is where I am, that that still small voice, that, that, that whisper. And then he says, this is what I want you to do, and instructs him for the future. Now we all understand that. With those that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's what the scriptures teach. What happens when you don't do that? What if you are in this place of isolation and despair because of dumb choices you have made, or you have decided to walk away from the things of God, or you have decided to become more self-focused, or, or just made some wrong decisions in your journey with the Lord. And, and today, as I was really, I appreciate the prayers of the brothers and sisters, because I, I started off on a sermon, I was sharing this with John yesterday, I started off on a sermon, and I'm like, yeah, this, I think this is the one, Lord, I think this is the one. And then I, my spirit wasn't sitting right. And, and like I got about my halfway, three quarters through, and the Lord says, no, not that one. And so on Thursday night, I had to start again, and then, on, on, and I'm, I'm seeking God, and, and I was like, Lord, what if I just push through this and then use this new word for next week? I can be better prepared. <laughs> and I was like, Lord says, no, 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 we're going to do this. So while so like, well, well, last week we looked at this God of comfort, today we look at this God of confrontation, this God that holds us accountable this God that doesn't let his children walk too far away before he says, hang on, boy. Oh, sorry, forgive me. That's how I talk to my children. Um, hang, 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 hang on, son. Hang on. Hang on. Let, let's see what's going on here. Let's pull you back a little bit. And so we're looking at this encounter that God has today with the church. And if you've got your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 3. Now, we have looked at this passage before, and we have looked at these churches before. And what I love in the Scriptures is how in Proverbs it says that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. If you have a friend that loves you, if you have someone who cares for you, then they will hold you accountable. They will call you up. They will call you out if you are sitting there doing something you know you're not supposed to be doing, if they love you, if they care for you. And we have within the book of Revelation chapters 2 and 3 the head of the church confronting his church and saying to his church, there are things wrong and I'm going to call it out. And why I picked this particular passage or why I believe the Lord had laid upon me this particular passage is I see so much comparisons to the church globally in the 21st century and how we view things and and how God has, especially in the Western world, called us out with the way we prioritize things or how we prioritize things or why we prioritize things the way we do. So if you've got your Bibles... Please turn to I'm not putting it up there once again. You have your Bibles. If you've got your Bibles, open them at Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to start reading at verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I like what the old King James says, spew you, spew you, I'm going to regurgitate. I'm going to vomit you up, says, I'll spew you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. I love this verse. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, King James, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to encounter you. We know, Father, that there is so much that needs to change within our own hearts, within our own minds, within our own lives, as individuals, as families, and as a church pray this morning that by your Spirit, you will meet us where we are at. We will encounter you in all your majesty, in all your glory, in all your compassion, in all your comfort, and in all your confrontation, and be changed. So I pray for each heart here, including my own, that we will hear what you have to say to us as your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Several titles are used here to describe the Lord Jesus, all right? You have the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, three titles that express his position as ruler, his character as faithful and true, and his authority as the Amen. These are qualifiers. Qualifiers for him to make an accurate assessment and judgment on his church. It's like how I am the parent of six children, and because I've known them since they were so young, I am the qualifier, the one qualified. It's like someone saying to me, your son is this. You don't know my son. You don't tell me what my son's like. I'm the qualifier to speak on my children and on my family. Like my wife is the qualifier to speak on her kids and her family. This is the qualifier of the Lord Jesus to make this assessment and this judgment. And what he does in this is that he actually, with these three titles, calls us to encounter him as these three things. To encounter him as the amen. The Amen, we say that at the end of our prayers. The Amen is actually a divine title assigned to God to describe His trustworthiness and His faithfulness. In Hebrew, it's translated as the one true God. Isaiah chapter 15, verse 16. Actually, you've got that in your Bibles. Turn to Isaiah. Chapter, sorry, chapter 65, verse 16. I gave you the wrong verse. This is what it says. Verse 16. Whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the one true God, by the amen. Whoever takes an oath in the land will swear by the one true God, by the amen. For the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes. That phrase there is called the amen, and it is given to Jesus here, and it shows or refers to Christ's headship about his truth or the truth of his message and the character that he holds as trustworthy and faithful. When I think of the amen, when I think of that one true God phrase, I think of it's the last word. It is the final say in the matter. That ends it. My friend Vinnie Nashu in New Zealand, when you have an argument, he would always end his argument with, I rest my case. And then he would walk off. That's just what he would do. But that's what it is. It means that's it. It's settled. Thus, the amen, the final addressing of the state of this church. He says this. He says, I know your deeds. I know your deeds and I know your state. Do I have the passage up here? All right, verse 15. I know your deeds and I know your state. He goes, you are neither hot. You are not like a warm cup of soup that that warms the soul. You're not like a warm fire that that, that fills the whole room with warmth. You're not like that. Neither are you cold, like a cold, refreshing drink on a 40-degree day, like a cold ice block that brings refreshment. You're neither hot nor you're cold. He says, you're lukewarm, you're useless, you're apathetic, you have no impact, what, you're good for nothing. In Laodicea, they had hot springs and cold springs. That's what he's actually referring to here in, in, in Laodicea. So they had hot springs that were good for medicinal purposes, which people would go and enjoy. And then you had cold springs, whether it was for bathing or just enjoying or refreshment. But the tepid, lukewarm springs we good for nothing. That was useless to anybody. If anything, it was disgusting to them. And so he's saying, because you're this, because you're neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You're just there. You're just existing. And because you're just existing, I want no part of you. Now, Laodicea was a prosperous city. And it was known for its wealth, its, its trade with other cities, its architecture, and its bolstered economy. And it included banking, it included, it included clothing manufacture, it even included medicine. It was surrounded by lush green plains because it was an abundance of water. And their lukewarmness is the result of this physical success, physical wealth physical possessions. They saw that. And what what that did for them, this is what caused their lukewarmness in verse 17, which is up there. He says, you say, it's not the Lord's assessment of his church. It's not God's assessment of his church. He says, you say, I am rich. You say, I have acquired wealth. You say, I have need of nothing. Nothing. You see, what this reflects is a heart that focuses on what? The seen, not the unseen. It is focusing on the physical, not the spiritual. It is focusing on the temporal, what you see in the here and now, not the eternal, not the what is yet to come. That's the focus of this church. It values human tradition. It values earthly values. It values worldly culture over the Word of God, before the Spirit of God, and it denies the very fatherhood of God to His church. That's what this attitude represents, that you don't need anything. When Jesus says in John 15, without me, you can do what? Nothing. Paul says in Corinthians, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It is Christ that makes you. It is Christ that keeps you. It is Christ that moves you. And these people say, we're a church. We don't need anything. And before you sit there and say, and this is what I'm guilty of, and say, that's not me, then I have to ask myself, when have there been times in my life where I have preferred a traditional way of doing things instead of a biblical way of doing things? Where have I been governed by my family background rather than the background in the Word of God? Where have have I allowed, oh, we've just always done it that way as opposed to this is the way God has called me to do it? Because I think a lot of us, and, and Polynesians are guilty of this, I think, I think a lot of us from different uh, ethnic backgrounds are guilty of this. Sometimes we can use our cultural heritage as the crutch or place it on the same level as the Word of God, if not above, as to why we do the things we do. And that could be anything from not just our... Our cultural traditions—it could be anything of valuing. Okay, if I get the good job, if I get the high grades, if I get the good job, if I get the right man or woman, if I get the right house, if I live in the right suburb, then I've got it made. And you work all your life to get all these things, and you get there and find out what it means nothing. I was talking with a brother, very godly man, and he was sharing with me how each of his positions—and he's got a very well-paying job—but he said, "My ministry." In my job is not my job, it's to pray. And it's to pray for my job, and it's to pray for the people in my job, and it's to pray for the people around me. It's to pray. And he says, and whether it be here or somewhere else, wherever God moves me, that is my job. My, the, what gives me money is just the means through which I survive. But it enables me what? To do my ministry. And, and this is what we do, though. We, we conduct ourselves where the word of God is not the final authority. And we, we've seen this take hold of the culture today. Uh, political correctness and, and, and you've got that whole wokeism thing, whatever that might be. See, that has now become the standard by which many churches will, dic- will, will decide how to conduct themselves. And, and that will give way to what the culture says as opposed to do it, abiding by what the word of God says. And, and this is the reality of what we're living in now. And to sit there and say that we have need of nothing because we have physical blessing, or, and, and that's, that's another danger. I'm, I'm a bit scatterbrained. I'm sorry, but see, Philadelphia, the Amen the was telling them that their blessing of wealth and riches were not the ac- accurate measurement or the accurate metric to gauge whether they were blessed by God or not. A lot of Christians do this. And I'm not saying saying that's wrong. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying that if God blesses you with a job or blesses you with a raise or blesses you with a promotion or, or blesses you with whatever the thing might be, I'm not saying that God is not blessing you, okay? But if you're using that as the only metric to say that you are right with God, then you're on dangerous ground. Why? Because if your desire for internal transformation by the Spirit of God is not there, if if you have no desire for spiritual things, if you have no love for the lost, if you have no desire to be involved with God's work, if you have no desire for growth in your relationship with him and your dependence upon him, if you have no desire for holiness in your life, then that tells me that the enemy has taken that physical blessing and that enemy is using it now to take you away from Jesus instead of bringing you to him. See, even the devil, even the devil can bless if it means that it takes you away from Jesus. Even the devil can do that. And so we've got to be very careful as to how we gauge what we are doing or how we, we connect with our God. If, our, if your physical state is the gauge where you say that we're, we're, we're doing well, then we, that's something that we need to repent. This is why the condemnation of the church says that, they, that they've been blinded by their physical wealth. It says this in verse Oh, where is it? It's up there? There. Verse 17. It says, you don't realize, you don't realize that you're wretched. I looked at that word wretched and one of the definitions was just good for nothing. Just useless. There's a way I, what, useless was one of my words that I used to use in the early 2000s. That's when people would do something. I was <laughs> useless. That would be how I'd say it. I, I haven't done it as much because I'd like to think I've matured. But so, but, but useless. It means you're useless. When something's wretched, it's good for nothing. It sits there. It's like a, a, a raggedy doll. Like, like when a, one time our cat brought in a bird, it's like, ugh, and, and left it there. <laughs> that's what it is. That, that's when something's wretched. It's good for nothing. Pitiful. Or pitiful. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're wretched. You are pitiful. And whenever I hear that word, I think of Mr. T. That's right. Pitiful. But the word pitiful, the word pitiful just means, it means sad. It's a sorry state. You don't realize that you're wretched, you're good for nothing, that you're pitiful, that you're in a sorry state, that you're poor, that you're, what is it, poor, that you're blind, and that you're naked. And he's making reference to these words because that is your state spiritually, Spiritually, you are wretched. Spiritually, you are pitiful. Spiritually, you are poor, you are blind, and you are naked. But what is brilliant, what is brilliant about this word from the amen is that while his judgment is honest and fair and right, he does it because of his love for his church. Verse 19, which I haven't put up there. Verse 19 says this. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. The fact that the Lord Jesus himself has called this out to this church in Laodicea is him saying, I love you, and I don't like the state that you're in. I love you, and you're going to all the wrong places to find contentment. I love you, and I want to make known where this relationship is broken down. This is where it's broken down. And so he doesn't just leave it there. And this is what I love about the Lord Jesus. This is what I love about the Scriptures. This is what I love about the Spirit of God. You know when you're feeling convicted of sin? You know when you're feeling down and just feel like, blah, as a Christian? You know when you're sitting there and you're just upset and you know something's not right with you? You know what that is? That is the Lord's Spirit because of His love for you saying, something's not right, Aaron. And I want you back. I want to make known to you there's something not right. See, that's what makes it so wonderful that the amen says, yes, this is what it is. And in this state of hopelessness, he says, but I'm also, oh, I got all this stuff there. But he says, I want you also not just to encounter the amen, the one who identifies that if things are wrong, but I want you to also encounter the faithful and true witness. The faithful and true witness. I want you to encounter him now. When Eva, where's Eva? Is Eva here? Hey, Eva. When Eva makes a comment about teaching, I I listen. Because she's a teacher, and she's been like a teacher forever. Okay? When Pastor Ben talks about, like, four-unit maths, like, it's it's just amazing, this mathematical brain that, you know, I mean, I have to admit, when he preaches a sermon, I, I kind of miss his mathematical illustrations. When, when, when Jono talks about, about, about coding or, or even just running marathons or, or whatever it might be, I pay attention because of their knowledge, their experience, and, and their interest in those particular fields. They are a faithful and true witness to those areas that they are experts in. Well, except Jono, perhaps. He's not an expert, but he knows a lot. Okay, so so, but, but what happens when someone who knows what they're talking about has something to say, you know, I pay attention. So the faithful and true witness here testifies how one can move from the state of lukewarmness, how one can move from the state of rejection to a place of revival and reconciliation. How? Because he has the knowledge, the means, and the power to move people from darkness to light, from death to life, from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of Christ, from just existence oh, did I move it too fast? Sorry. From just existence to abundance. and he does it first in the giving of his Son. He does it first by giving us the best that he has. He does it first through sending Jesus Christ to die for us and rise again. But what's exciting is that it doesn't stop there. When you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he continues to do that. The fact that he went through the greatest of lengths to save you, he goes through the greatest of lengths to keep you and to sustain you and to enable you to walk through this life as his child. So, the solution the faithful and true witness gives is in the next few verses, he goes, I counsel you to buy from me. Because I counsel you to buy from me, nowhere else. He doesn't say, Go to this person, go to this church, do this activity, whatever it might be. Because I counsel you to come to me and buy from me first gold refined in the fire. Why? So you can become really rich, spiritually rich. To purchase white clothes to wear. Why? So you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes. Why? So you can see. What's really interesting is that those three things are the very three things that in Laodicea, they were popular for. Wealth, trade, trade, clothes manufacturing and medicine, and so Jesus addresses those three things. Follow His counsel. The language He uses is the allusion to their wealth. Once again, if you have, if you have riches, if you have money, if you invest into things of this life and of this world, then He says, not as opposed to going to Jesus to buy things from Him. But with the same investment that you take your money, invest into stuff, with the same effort you take to, to get all your cash together to go out and buy, or, or the, the same thoughts that you put into when you go do your stocks or you do your crypto, whatever it might be, that same investment, that same effort, that same hard work, that same knowledge, he says, then you buy from me. Put that effort into your connection with me. Put that hardship into that connection with me. Put that protection. And, and the abandonment and the trust that you have in these markets, put that in me. That's what he's saying here. You use those resources you have available to purchase that which will last and withstand the fiery judgment of God. Not the wood, not the hay, and not the stubble that would be burnt up. If you want to have a look at 1 Corinthians 3 verses 11 to 15, it talks about that. How we build on this foundation that is Christ, gold, silver, precious gems, which withstand the fire of God's trial, God's judgment, or wood, hay, and stubble that burns up. That's the first challenge for us. If we're in this state of like, oh, or or, or apathy, he says, you go to him, and with that same effort, that same passion, you seek after the Lord Jesus. So he says that. Then the second one, what then is to be uh, purchased, uh, the, the, oh, there we are. White clothes. Clothes are a picture of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, the atonement for our sin. We were not only forgiven for our sin, but our sin is taken away, never to be held against us again. Um, Psalm 103 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us, having our nakedness, our shame, our guilt atoned for. Atonement means covering, having our sin covered by the blood of the lamb. It's, uh, and the last one is to purchase that I that salve. This was so they could truly see their spiritual condition. You know why the scriptures say that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked, eh? Because we justify so many ridiculous things. I saw a video. Um, so th- this is one of the things that I like about phones. Uh, we take video, like short videos all the time. And on my computer, I think it's maybe like 19, 20 gigs of short videos of my family throughout the years. So f- sort of like from the early 2000s to currently. Now, in 2015, I believe... I thought I was in good shape. Like well, I thought, yeah, I thought it's good shape, you know, whatever. And we're watching this video. We're down in um, Campbelltown, and the kids were roller skating, uh, rollerblading, should I say. And we're watching it all laughing, and Emily was going to try skating down this really steep hill. And we're saying, don't do it. You'll fall and hurt yourself. You hear gyral, You hear Faith. Do it. Do it. And she's like, i want to do it. I said, don't do it, because I'm not going to take you to the hospital. Like, just don't do it. Everyone else was like, do it. Do it. Trying to, like, okay. But then I walk into, into the camera, into the camera, and everybody in the lounge just goes, "Oh!" And even me, we like, "Oh!" I was huge. I never realised. I was like, "Wow! Who's that?" And they're like, "That's." I was amazing. I was like, that, "I'm monstrous." That is out. And I thought, I thought at that particular time, I thought, "Yeah, I look good." No, no, I did not. I, I really did not. You know. But see how our hearts are deceitful how we see ourselves the way we want to see ourselves. I think I'm this, that, and the other, plus a bag of chips, when really I was just a, like a side of lamb, you know, just, 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 just sitting there. It was, it was ridiculous. But that's what our hearts, so I self is so that we might see our spiritual condition clearly. It's to deliver us from our own self-deception, just like they, the church at Laodicea found themselves in this the state of deception. You know, but once again, the faithful and true witness, the, the amen who gives his final word, the faithful and true witness who says, this is how you get out of it. You come to me, you buy from me things that will last, gold refined in fire. You'll buy white garments clothed in his righteousness. You'll, you'll find I self to see things how they really are. And he gives us all of this because it says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. But what's neat is the second part of verse 19 in your Bibles, look at this yes, those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. And then this is the charge he says, So be earnest and repent. Be earnest and repent. Repentance is about forsaking, it's about, it's about forsaking the, the way you think things should be done and bringing them into line. With God's word, it's about laying aside the sin and, and the weights that easily entangle us and looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Repentance is about letting go of these traditions or these worldly priorities, like the money and like the cares, the careers and the financial security, like the status, like the popularity. About letting go of those things. It's not, I'm not saying those things are bad, I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm saying is take those things. Don't let that become God. Don't do what the Pharisees did and take their tradition and put it in God's standard, how the temple became their God, not God. The temple was supposed to lead them to God. This is what we can do. We can take all these things and make them God ourselves. But here's one of the greatest things. Like He says, okay, go to him and purchase these things. And what I like about this God of confrontation is that He is a God that always initiates bringing us to Himself. Verse 20, which is used in evangelism a lot, but He says, Here I am. Behold, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He is beckoning to us who are in a state of apathy. He is knocking on the door of those of us that are feeling lukewarm. He's, when we sit down and we are frustrated in our Christian lives, for whatever reason, and wondering why is it that I am not experiencing power? Why is it that I'm not experiencing joy? Why is it that I'm not experiencing desire for things of God? Why is it that I'm content and just sitting here and enjoying this particular place, the state of just apathy? Why am I happy doing this? And what's fascinating is that he sees you like this, and he's knocking on the door of your heart, He's knocking on your door, trying to catch your attention. He's knocking on the door, showing you things aren't right, are they? And I can help you out of this. I can help you out of this. One of the silliest things we used to do as a family was when people would knock on the door, we would freeze. Was a, we used to live in Kings Langley, and we had this window with the frosted glass on it. And you can see when people are standing by the sliding door. And when someone would knock, all of us would just stop. And you'd see the person looking through the glass. And they're like, I can see you. And he's just like, and I said, let's see if we can outlast them. And we just stand there. And then, and then after a few minutes, then they would eventually leave. It's a terrible thing to do, I know. I thought it was funny back in the day. But yeah, it's just, it's just ridiculous. But here's, here's what I like. Here's what I like. Is that the Lord doesn't go away. He sits there and he's knocking on the door trying to get your attention. Because he knows where you're at. And he knows that the only way you can get out of this is by opening up to him, by opening up to him. See, he wants to bring you out of it. He wants to reconnect you with himself. He wants to lead you out of the desert of of, of barrenness and bring you to the joy of knowing him personally. And how does he do that? Well, Well, how do we do that? Well, it's by responding to that call. And it's, it's, not, it's not a literal going up and opening a door. It could be something as simple as, and I was praying this last night, as simple as just on your knees and asking, Lord, I I know you're calling me, and I don't know what to do, but I don't want to stay like this. It can be the honesty of your own heart crying out to a saviour who loves you, because those he loves he rebukes and disciplines, and he wants to bring you to himself. And then when, when he burns that when you cry out to him, then he says this, be with Jesus. Just be with him. And, and that can be something as simple as, instead of watching TV, just praying. And instead of getting angry at silly things, maybe it's opening the word. Just taking these little steps of trusting Jesus in each moment. With each circumstance, relying on him and helping and allowing him to, to work in your heart to change your desire. And that is not as hard as it seems. Like we recognize his conviction, we, we read his word, and he, he burdens us. And then what it happens, what? It means then for us, as we respond to those little things, making the right choices to repent, turn away from the things that we used to do. Not, not given to your anger, not, not, not given to, to, to that temptation, not, not given to that frustration or whatever it might be, but to just be with him because that's what he desires from us. So it, as the one who encounters the rulers of God, God's creation, this is what I like. So as the amen, as the faithful and true witness, He's also the ruler of God's creation, and this is what I like, that when you respond, the authority he has and what he does. He says in verse 21 and 22, To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Look at the position we are placed in. That when he comes in and sups with us, that he places us in a position of privilege. That we are seated with him in the heavenly places. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is the position that we are placed in as we respond to the God who confronts us with where we are at, who wants to deliver us from our lukewarmness, who wants to deliver us through our religiosity and going through the motions, but that only comes from connecting with Him. See, the God of confrontation does this because He loves His church. And he has so much in store for us as his church and calls us out for the purpose of representing him and to experience the beauty of himself. My mentor taught me this word, perichoresis, I believe it is. Pastor John probably knows it. Uncle Fred knows it. Perichoresis. And it's like, it's like this. The way my, my mentor described it was like it's this, this, this perfect Interaction of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It is the the picture of perfect encounter, of perfect fellowship, of perfect equality, of perfect interaction. And then he says, and what the Lord wants to do in Christ is bring you into this perfection to experience the fullness of what that is. To partake of the fullness of this fellowship and of, of this love and of this relationship. And he brings that to us in Christ And so this God of confrontation who has this this perichoresis and invites us into that perichoresis, he wants us to to partake of that because he loves us. Therefore, he'll rebuke us when we're in the wrong and he'll discipline us so that we can fully encounter him in, in all his fullness and in all his grace and in all his love. See, as the amen, he calls us out when we are not walking in the fullness of Christ, The God of light exposes us in our sin and calls us to repentance, but he says it because those whom he loves, he rebukes and disciplines. So be earnest and repent. As the faithful and true witness, he charges us to go to him and invest into our relationship with him because he is the one that stands at the door and knocks. He is the one that is waiting for us to respond, and he is the one desiring fellowship with us because those whom he loves He rebukes and disciplines, so be earnest and repent. And as the rule of God's creation, he blesses us with himself. He, He places us in a place of privilege with himself and draws us to himself so we might experience the fullness and the abundance of his love in himself. Why? Because those whom he loves, he rebukes and disciplines. So be earnest and repent. See, I don't know where you guys are at, I don't know where, what stage you are, whether you are feeling lukewarm at the moment. What I do know is this, that Jesus is calling you to himself. He's knocking at the door of your heart, and he's wanting you to be earnest and repent. Why? Because those that he loves, he rebukes, and he disciplines. And from what I read in the scriptures, and when I look around me, when I see you guys at home, I see someone whom he loves, And wants you to know that love to the fullest. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are overwhelmed by the sheer greatness of your love. That even when we do walk away, when we do make mistakes, when we do become self centered, you call us out because you are the Amen. You call us out, you convict us, you've given your spirit to us, you've given us your word to teach us, you've given us each other to walk with. And so I pray, Father, that as you, as the amen, call us out, we would respond. That as the faithful and true witness, you have given us the means in your son, Jesus Christ, to to repent of our sin, to, to come back to you, to cry out to you, to allow you to enter and to sup with us. And as the God of all creation, I thank you that you've taken us and and placed us to be seated in the heavenlies with your son. We are so undeserving, but we are so thankful for everything you've given us in Jesus Christ. So I pray for us now that we would be a people that would respond, that we would be a people that would be earnest and repent of whatever it is that is keeping us from you, And Father, that we would come to know the fullness of the love that you have invested into us in your son, Jesus Christ. And so I pray, Father, I thank you for your rebuke. I thank you for your discipline. And I thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.